0: Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Seta. Today we have a great podcast for you and a pair of interviews recorded during the Lightforce Future Meeting in San Diego. Before we dive in, I'm thrilled to introduce a new addition to our Illuminate team. We've recently brought a second audio engineer into the mix to serve you more episodes while still maintaining our signature Illuminate sound. We'd like to welcome Johnny Mitchell, a skilled live sound engineer known for his work with Relapse and Jill Allen's Hey Docs podcast. Johnny will be working alongside Skylar to handle the podcast editing, and we couldn't be happier to have him on board. So, Johnny, cheers to you. And now, without further ado, we're on to today's episode.
1: I'm not one to complain, you know? Like, I think if you're not happy about something, you should let people know. You can't be mad at them if you haven't told them. If you have an idea for um, how a service could be better, tell them.
0: I'm Dr. Chris Seta, and I'm shining a light on the innovators of our profession. Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. On today's show, my guest is Dr. Tim Dumore. In the ever-evolving world of orthodontics, navigating the terrain of new technology can often feel like trekking through a snowstorm. Recently, we had some challenges ourselves with a new digital indirect bonding system in the office. Rather than giving up, we called in the clinical support team to troubleshoot our issues and offered feedback on how the product could be better. Lo and behold, our bondings are now going seamlessly and the team is fully on board with the new technology. In that spirit, today I'm thrilled to shine a light on an innovator who is no stranger to navigating this proverbial snowstorm. Dr. Tim Dumore is an orthodontist who practices in Winnipeg, Canada and is a pioneer in our specialty. While many would recognize Tim for his distinctive red glasses, he's also well-known and loved for his quirky sense of humor. As you'll hear on today's episode, Tim has been an early adopter of many orthodontic innovations throughout his career, including Invisalign, Ortho2's Edge practice management software, ULAB systems, and most recently, Lightforce. However, it's important to keep in mind that with any technological leap, there are bound to be a few bumps along that snowy road. Join me as we learn Tim's secrets to being a successful innovator and how he has lent his feedback to help companies refine their products. Well, welcome to the podcast, Tim. How
1: are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. So excited to have you on the podcast. I've listened to almost all of the podcasts, all the other previous interviews, and I got to say it's a little weird to be uh, the guy talking behind the mic. Tim
0: is actually my first Canadian guest that I'm having on the podcast. Did you know that? I guess now that I think about it, I guess that's true.
1: Can I just say I'm sorry? And I'm trying to say (laughs) that with my Canadian accent, but can you apologize in Canadian? (laughs) We're all about apologizing, so. Why don't you tell everyone where we're at? We are at the Light Force Futures meeting in San Diego. That's right. San Diego, right? San Diego. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's funny. I liked that the forecast before we came. Winnipeg's around, you know, 85, 90 this weekend. And the forecast for here was, I don't know, 65 and cloudy but outside it looks beautiful you can't always trust the forecast because it's nice out there oh uh, it's nice and sunny so tim why don't you tell us uh, what we're drinking today well it's delicious but i don't know what we have i debated whether we should go with wine or beer but i really like ipa so this is a local san diego ipa society brewing i believe society brewing okay and it's uh the hoppier the better for me so i know it's not everyone's taste but do you know what the ibus
0: are on this one
1: you know, we'll have to go back to the bar. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Try another one, right? Yeah. There was a hazy that I had last night that was pretty good also, Ooh, but it wasn't sure if you'd like that. So,
0: I'm a big IPA drinker. I go back and forth between the regular and the hazy, but I really enjoy them both. Do you have a favorite IPA?
1: You know, like a lot of cities, Winnipeg has some amazing local breweries, and, or most of them have some pretty good offerings. So there's one that I really like called Juicy AF. We can imagine what AF stands <laughs> for, right? <laughs> It took me a while to realize what that, what that meant. I heard the term and I would say it. Did you have to like Google it? Well, then someone told me, I think. And it's like, oh, oh.
0: <laughs> i figure that one out pretty quick. So Tim, I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast today. We have lots of great topics to cover. We're going to talk about how you were an early adopter for Invisalign and Ortho2, the practice management software. We're going to talk about the Seattle Study Club, which I think is super interesting. We're going to talk actually about ULAB and Lightforce and maybe some pearls and tips and tricks for that. We're going to talk about your involvement with Chorus, the OSO, a more recent development for you. And finally, we're going to touch on your mission work. So before we dive into all that, why don't you tell us where exactly you're from in Canada? Well,
1: I'm from Winnipeg, which I don't think Winnipeg has the most glamorous reputation. I know it's a tough place to get people to come to, but it's a hard place to get people to leave because once you come, you realize it's a good place to live. It's cold in the winter, but you buy a good coat. Winnipeg is about 800,000 people, and it's a city that, for its size, has got more than its share of good restaurants and culture. So it's like a hidden gem within Canada? You know, it really is. There's been a couple of articles in magazines like Time and some other travel magazines over the last few years where they've discussed all why Winnipeg's one of the best cities to visit in the world. Or Churchill, Manitoba is a couple hours north where you can see polar bears. Lots of people come from, you know, I'll be on planes and there'll be German people flying to Winnipeg so they can go up to Churchill to see the polar bears.
0: But oh, wow. I love Winnipeg. So I looked it up on a map and correct me if I'm wrong. It's sort of like due north of the border of Minnesota and North Dakota.
1: That's correct. So we're about six and a half hour car ride to uh, Minneapolis, hour flight. Yeah. So you were born and raised in Winnipeg, right? I've lived almost my entire life in Winnipeg with a couple of little breaks. And would that make you like a Winnipegian? Yeah, it's good. A Winnipegger? Winnipegger or just sometimes people will say Pegger. Pegger. Okay. I'm from the Peg. The Peg. Oh, I like
0: that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, it sounds very interesting. I definitely want to come visit. So talk to me a little bit about like growing up and what life was like as a pegger.
1: You know, life was good as a pegger. You know, I went to public school system, which did well for me. And interestingly, like I think it was probably eighth grade. I was a pretty goal oriented kid. And I knew you had to pick a job at some point in your life. So I decided doctor would be good because it's kind of sciencey and you get to work with people, Yeah, get to help people. And then I never really thought about what that meant. It was just a fact. (laughs) And then I was in first year university and I'd been thinking about it a little bit, but I was working on an English essay and I thought, I don't know. So I woke up my parents and then said, look, I'm dropping out. So I worked and I went to Europe for two months and at some point decided that dentistry was a better job based on not much, I don't think really. (laughs) One of my friends, his brother was in dental school and he was a nice guy. But I talked to kids about this in the office all the time where, you don't any job you don't really know until you start doing it, right? Yeah. So I went into dental school, and I think I just got lucky. Of all the careers I could do, I think of what else would I want to do? And I think I don't know. I really like this. It's a great way to spend your life. I believe you went to school at the University of Manitoba, right? I did my undergrad and my dentistry there. Okay. And interestingly, when you put your degrees on your name, yeah, you put them in the order you get them. That first year that I went, I finished half a credit of math, took three years, but I didn't get my BSc. So I got my dental degree, and then afterwards, I took a half credit in math and got my BSc after my dental degree, and then I got my master's. I used to have my diplomas in the consult room, and once in a while, people would question that, and I had to explain that I dropped out. So you dropped out to go to Europe, basically, right? Well, I think I dropped out because I just knew I I didn't want to be a physician, and I just needed some time to think about stuff, and well, I didn't put enough effort into it. Looking back on it, I picked dentistry based on not enough information, but... (laughs) And, you know, interestingly, on the first day of my second first day of university, mm-hmm. there was a chemistry class. There was one seat left in the whole room. There's kids sitting in the aisles, but there's one seat left next to this cute girl. So I said to her, uh, is this seat taken? And she said, no. So I sat down and then I looked at her and said, are you ready for this? And, uh, <laughs> and now, you know, she's my wife. You know? Oh, I, no way. Yeah. So she would save me seats. And at one time I asked her out on a date yeah. through the student newspaper. They used to have a messaging section. Oh, is that right? And I asked her out for, um, I said, seeing you in chemistry classes isn't enough. How about a movie?
0: You didn't use like a chemistry reference, like we
1: have great chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that would, that would have been good actually. So I asked her at the next class, have you read the Manitoban? And she said no, but she had a boyfriend that she had to dump. He was a, he a good guy, but she knew he wasn't the long-term guy. Yeah. So she dumped him and then, well, Lord knows we, we've been married for 34 years. So that was 39 years ago, I guess. Long time. So I went to dental school and then the military paid for my dental education. My sister had been in the military as a, she was a postal clerk. And she said, you know, if you're going to dentistry, the military, they'll pay for it for you. So I looked into it and I applied and I was accepted. So all my books, uh, tuition, equipment, whatnot, all paid for plus a salary. And then when I graduated from dental school, they sent me to Cold Lake, Alberta, which is in the middle of nowhere. It's like Northern Alberta, but you know, small 10,000 people community.
0: I looked it up. I thought it was like the actual North Pole, but it's actually further South than I would imagine.
1: Yeah, quite a bit. It's about a three hour drive from Edmonton, like a little bit North, and but more East than anything. Mm-hmm. So I spent four years in Cold Lake. I had 20 trips in the F-18. No way. I only got sick twice. <laughs> yeah. So I did like low-level bombing. I did night flying. I did uh, air-to-air refueling. They have like a Top Gun kind of course. Yeah. So I did some of those missions. We had one mission where we were flying. We had eight planes of rest and we we're flying at 40,000 feet. And we met some B-1Bs that flew up from, I think, Louisiana. And we escorted them to the target and whoa uh, it was super cool a b1b is like a bomber i would think yeah right? yeah, yeah it's an older plane but it, i think they're still flying so what about the two times you got sick oh man the first time i got sick was my fifth trip and it was a low-level dog fighting mission yeah so there's i don't know six or eight planes like in the movies a lot of like turn left and people are barking at each other yeah and it was like a hot day and like one point the g-forces are you're not always pulling seven g's but sometimes it gets up there what does that feel like well, you know, if you're ready for it, you can kind of grunt and you, know, you have your g suits, so you don't black out. But if you're looking the wrong way, I have my head plastered against the canopy looking the wrong way. And there was no, what? I wasn't getting back until until they finished that turn. <laughs> so anyways, that mission ended and I did fine. But when we leveled off and we're flying back to the base, that's when I was like, oh, So I got out my little ticket, my air sickness bag and uh, woofed up an apple and felt better. Now,
0: now, you weren't the one flying. The, you weren't Maverick. You were Goose, right? I was were, Goose, yeah. yeah.
1: I was like a sack of potatoes in the back. I was I, There was no useful purpose for me to be there. But
0: Weren't you well, running communications or doing something, telling jokes in the back? Or? I, was learning, I was learning
1: about uh, aeromedical dentistry and the,
0: <laughs> reading books in the back. So tell me a little bit more about like your clinic at Cold Lake. Like what were your experiences? Were you doing all types of dentistry at that point?
1: I look back on my life and there's not many parts I would change at least in that respect, because I show up at this clinic, there was two new grads mm-hmm. and three really good experienced dentists. And they were very supportive and, you know, they understand they have a new grad and they give us lots of encouragement and whatnot. So I was there for maybe a month and this kid comes in, a cadet that needed a wisdom tooth taken out. And I'm not sure I'd taken out a wisdom tooth yet. Interesting. Yeah. So I go to the guy next door and I explain the situation. And then we kind of stared at each other. And then he said, well, get to work. He goes, you know what to do? And I'm right here. If you have any trouble, I'll help you out. And it was like that. So I did periosurgery. I did wisdom teeth. I did the whole gamut. And then there was an orthodontist. I think Jerry Pinson was his name. The military, they had paid for his training and then promptly said, you know what? We don't actually need orthodontists in the military. So they let him go.
0: No way. (laughs) And
1: he's like, really? So he stayed in the same space, Mm -hmm. but all of a sudden he's a civilian now. He rented the space for cheap and he did his thing. And I had heard that he was willing to help out the dentist. So I brought him a patient one day I showed him the models and I said, like, you got to help this kid out because his teeth are a mess and we have no budget right now. And he's a super nice guy, but can't afford it. And man, I'd really like to, if you could help him out. And he said well, you do it. And I go, what do you mean? And he said, well, I'll give you the stuff and I'll mentor you. Hmm. I thought, really? So I ended up doing about 20 cases before I left the military. But at some point I thought, you know, I could do this for a living. So I talked to my wife and said, look, I want to go back to school. So I applied at a bunch of schools and was accepted in San Francisco and so we moved from Cold Lake, Alberta to San Francisco. And I, it's weird, but for the first couple months, I was kind of homesick for Cold Lake. It was a small town and we'd really grown to Is like that it. right? So what were your impressions, like a Canadian coming to San Francisco? Like, had you been in the States before? Was this sort of culture shock for you? No. I mean, the first drive into San Francisco was, I just well, had a heart attack because we lived in Cold Lake. When we first got there, they had one traffic light. And when we left four years later, I think they had three or four. And all of a sudden we're driving to San Francisco and the lanes were way too close together and the lights were in the right spot. And yeah, it was intense. All the hills and
0: everything. Yeah.
1: But anyways, four years in San Francisco was, uh, it's a great place to acquire debt. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I finished dental school with no debt and I finished ortho school with $212,000 of debt. Dang.
0: Wow. That's a big difference. Yeah. And was that the exchange rate? Because you told me before that the Canadian dollar, I think, was weaker against the American dollar.
1: It was about 62 cents. So... I graduated 25 years ago. So we were paying about 1,600 US a month, so times 62 cents, like $2,400 a month Canadian for 37 months. Uh, Childcare was expensive, food was, everything was expensive, but I wouldn't change a thing though. I remember being in the clinic one day, one of our instructors he was talking about, he was happy because he'd been out of school for 10 years and he had just paid off all his student loans. And I remember thinking to myself, geez, 10 years and you're just paying off your loans now. I thought maybe it seemed like a long time. I thought you would have paid it off quicker. And sure enough, you get back to Winnipeg and it took me 10 years to pay off that debt.
0: Well, it makes sense. Yeah. Now, if I understand correctly, there's actually two ortho programs in San Francisco, right? There's
1: UCSF and University of Pacific? That's correct. So I went to UCSF. Okay. And how many residents did you have? Uh, we had five residents. When I was looking for programs, I wanted to get my master's. I was one of my criteria and I wanted a three-year program, mm-hmm. which sounds crazy. Like You think you want to get it done quicker, which I get. I also wanted to be able to finish more cases and I had a kid. So I wanted to maybe potentially have a little bit more time to do my work, but actually spend some time with my family too. Sure. We had five residents, which is also a good thing. I think that's kind of a good sweet spot in my opinion for class size, because there's enough people to share the workload. You learn so much from your residents. You learn as much from your fellow residents as anything. And we had a great class. I mean, the classes ahead and behind us were good too, but our class was awesome. We had Kelly Jean Eddy. She's an amazing, amazing woman. She lives in the Sacramento area. And then we had uh, Juan Carlos Quintero, who many people might know. He's talked about yeah. beam and Airway kind Absolutely. of stuff.
0: Yeah, I've heard him talk.
1: And I think most people would know uh, Sean Carlson. Oh, yeah. Man, Sean's an Shawn. awesome guy. But he kind of pissed me off a lot in class because... Why is that? Because his pictures were always amazing. And uh, his presentations were always like really good. Was he always like a forward thinking, just like inspirational guy? Yeah, I would say he was. When I was in Cold Lake, my boss, uh, this guy, Marsh Garriott, he was a fantastic dentist, but a great human being. And he changed my life. I walked into his room one day with a crisis and whatever it was, I'm not sure, but I was all fired up. And he said, wait a second, slow down, slow down. And he goes, is it fatal? (laughs) Uh, No. Then he said, well, it's okay. Then we can deal with this. If there's a problem, we're going to find a solution. Yeah. And that was his approach to everything. And it really Hmm. struck with me. And I try hard not to get bent out of shape about things. Like, there's a problem. Let's analyze the situation. Because a lot of times your reaction is worse than the actual problem. Right. Yeah. So related to that is Sean. And he had this phrase he said a lot was, it's all good. (laughs) It's all good. Like very Californian, right? Yeah. There'd be some crisis. And he'd say, no, it's all good. We're very fortunate to have had him as a classmate. Yeah. And then the last one was Ross Miller. He was actually the first full-time clinical orthodontist for Invisalign. Hmm. So interestingly, he came to Winnipeg in, I don't know if it was like late 98 or early 99. And he said, you know, I got this thing, I'm working for this company. And he kind of explained Invisalign. And he said, you know, you're kind of a tech guy. I thought you might like this. So I said, I agreed to start using Invisalign. Interesting, the first Invisalign case treated in Canada was a four by extraction case. So it was, sounds ridiculous, but this kid had some pretty severe cerebral palsy and he couldn't speak, he could communicate ish. Like, yeah. He had a sense of humor but he had a new foster mom and she was trying to do something to help him because his teeth were a mess and his breath was terrible. She said he could knock over a horse from 10 paces or something like that. <laughs> and it wasn't that bad. She thought it'd be easier to clean his teeth and he would look better if he get braces. But I thought, man, I don't think I can do braces on this kid. Yeah. And I thought if you did nothing else but take out four teeth and just let the teeth drift a bit, I think that would have been a good service for him. Mm-hmm. So I explained to her, I said, look, here's the deal. This is what it is. And I think it should work. Uh, and if you're willing to give it a try, I think it could help him. So he did Invisalign on this kid. And you know what? I can show you the case sometime, but looking at the roots, like the root parallelism is surprisingly good. <laughs> good. Interesting. It actually turned out pretty well. Was he able to take the aligners out himself? No, so the compliance was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Mom put him in. Yeah, he couldn't take them out. So <laughs> he's probably the best compliance in like the history of Invisalign. <laughs> Do you think this was the first ever four by extraction case treated with Invisalign? Or? I don't know. Like, I know some cases have been treated in the U.S. before this. It's possible, I guess. Well, I don't think it would have done anything different. I think it definitely made me a little bit nervous. I mean, we yeah. I had lots of questions about it.
0: When we come back, in just a moment, how Tim became an early adopter of Invisalign and Ortho2's practice management software, his advice on giving companies product feedback, and why Tim got involved with the Seattle Study Club. Stay with us, you're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. kind support for this podcast comes from Dental Monitoring. Are you looking for remote monitoring to optimize your schedule so you have more time to market and grow your orthodontic practice? Are emergency appointments a source of stress for you and your team? Would automatic notifications based on 130 plus intraoral observations help you keep treatment on schedule? Well, Dental Monitoring is the solution. DM is an AI-driven remote monitoring technology that gives you the information to streamline your workflow and improve the quality of care. Your patients will love the convenience of dental monitoring, and the easy in-app communication helps elevate their experience. To learn more about using DM in your practice, head over to dentalmonitoring.com pod. Welcome back to our conversation with Dr. Tim Dumore.
1: So I think you went on to be part of the Alpha Group, right? With Invisalign? I did. I'm not sure how that exactly when I was asked, but early on there was this alpha group and they had some great meetings. Like they had a meeting in Hawaii. So I'm a new grad. I have no money, I have lots of debt. Yeah. Not that many patients yet. And there's this free trip to Hawaii, like airfare was paid. (laughs) And so most people did was went for a week and they'd bring their family. So the meeting was Friday. Saturday till lunch, and then we went whale watching, and then Sunday till lunch. So I flew Thursday, got to Maui late at night without my luggage. Uh, luggage showed up later the next day, and then did the meeting. And then Sunday, flew to Honolulu, and then took our red eye back to Winnipeg. I think of it now, that was like the stupidest thing, but I couldn't afford to bring my wife. And uh, <laughs> I should have just stayed for a couple days. I thought, man, I got bills to pay, but yeah. a couple days wouldn't have made a difference. But so that Alpha group was kind of an interesting thing. Who was part of it? Bruce McFarlane was the guy that sure, I worked with yeah. for my first couple of years. I know Bruce. So his brother and I were friends. When I took that year off after high school, after my first failed attempt at university, I went to Europe with Gord, Bruce's brother. So he was part of it. A lot of heavy hitters. It was kind of a cool thing. But Lou Schumann was sort of the ringleader. he, was, oh, he the wow. guy that yeah. got it all going. He's been mentioned a few times on the podcast. Yeah, he's quite a guy. Like his portfolio of things he does is impressive. I don't know how he finds time. So I think around the same time you set up your practice in
0: Winnipeg, right around the year 2000?
1: I graduated in 98, worked with Bruce for two years. Okay. And during that time, we also had a satellite in Kenora, Ontario, which is a two-hour drive. So once a month, we'd go there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then I also found a gig going up north to like just south of Santa Claus in a place called Rankin (laughs) Inlet. It's like a very isolated- Like a lot of reindeer up there? Oh, yeah. And elves. Yeah, it was crazy. But it was like a lot of the kids up there have early childhood caries. And they ended Mm -hmm. up having a lot of teeth pulled and a lot of stainless steel crowns. You'd have these kids with these horrific malocclusions. So as a young orthodontist, it was great because I got lots of good experience dealing with hard cases. That was Friday to Monday. I'd leave Friday morning, come back Monday evening, and I would try and stagger the trips. But there was a couple times where I left Friday, came back Monday, flight's delayed, get like two hours of sleep, and then wake up at 4 o'clock to drive to Kenora and then come back on Thursday. So I'd be gone for a whole week. That only happened a couple times, but... At one point I was in a hotel room somewhere and I remember thinking to myself, if I didn't have to do this, I wouldn't do this. And then 000, 1, and Then it kind of hit me. I don't have to do this. You know, I can charge <laughs> my life. So I, um, after a while, I stopped doing that. But after two years of working with Bruce, it was a downtown practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, like many cities, Winnipeg's downtown is doing pretty good these days. It's, it's always a struggle to get people to go downtown. But for an Orthodox it was a, you know, I could kind of see the writing on the wall. So mm-hmm. I grew up in a suburb and there was no Orthodox there where Mm -hmm. I was from. And I thought, am I missing something? So I set up a practice in September of 2000 and uh, I've been there ever since. So it's 23 years this fall. Congratulations. So I I set up this practice and I still got debt and you're never going to be more motivated than a young orthodontist who just invested a whack of cash into this new practice. Mm -hmm. And I think of young orthodontists today, young residents and new grads who I think as a group, they probably have a better sense of reality than I did because that whole idea of work-life balance and that you know you wanna dedicate yourself to becoming the best orthodontist you can and Mm -hmm. to grow your practice, but you also wanna be able to have enough time to spend time with your kids or to have other interests. And I mean, I just put my nose down and my goal was uh, to grow this practice. You know, like a thing I gotta do, like I'm a happy guy, I'm friendly. I'm, I try and be kind when I can. I wouldn't say introspection's my greatest asset. I just kind of like, I don't know, it's just not my yeah. thing. So I never really thought about my vision that much other than just grow this practice. And one day you wake up and you look and go, Jesus, I got a big practice. I'm not sure if I would have done it differently, but I have a big practice now. And it kind of, on some levels, when you get to that state, the tail kind of wags the dog a little bit. Mm-hmm. So for younger Orthodox, my advice would be to really think about what you want to get out of life. Because Mm. if you don't, there's no choice The machine takes over. And then all of a sudden you're just part of the one cog in the wheel kind of
0: thing. Yeah. The younger generation really thinks about that a lot more, like you were saying, and just sort of trying to plan and vision board that out. Whereas, you know, when you have that much debt, sometimes you're just on that hamster wheel.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. When I first started, I had one admin person, She was like the treatment coordinator. She did everything admin, and I had two assistants, and I probably only really needed one. I knew I would grow. And then we hired a third assistant, so we had one admin, three assistants. And then we had to hire another, like a receptionist kind of person. Mm -hmm. And there was a young lady who had worked at a local pizza place. It was just like a minute walk from our office. I was having lunch there one day, and I thought, she'd be good. She knew nothing about dentistry, but her customer service skills were amazing. Yeah, And I remember going back to the offices and talking to Lynn saying, you know, what do you think about Amanda? So I offered her a job and then she said, here's my salary. Can you match that? And I'm like, yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to get a raise actually. <laughs> so we hired her. And then I remember going home that night. So Jen was pregnant with our third child. And I'm thinking about the fact that we've just hired this young woman who's quitting her job to come work with us and now, which means more debt, more overhead. Mm-hmm. I said to myself or said out loud, I said, Jesus, another mouth to feed. Because, you know, you feel the pressure of being a, you're the boss, but yeah, your teams have their own lives too. And you want to respect that. And so I said, geez, another mouth to feed. And Jen was, I looked over and she's holding her belly and she kind of looked at me and like, are you having second thoughts or something? No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) The the baby's good. (laughs) That was um, Foot and mouth. Yeah. That was a long time ago. I look back on my career, my practice life, and it seems like it was just yesterday. I don't know. Yeah.
0: At some point, I know you got involved with Ortho2, the practice management software,
1: right? How did that come about? So I built my own practice, and I bought a program called OrthoSoft. Okay. And it was a DOS-based program, but they showed nice pictures at the AAO of their Windows product that was coming out. Oh, I remember DOS. You know, maybe let's explain that a little bit for the younger generation. It wasn't graphical. like It was like a, I don't know. text space, right? Yeah, and like very clunky and a lot of Control-F4 and... (laughs) Control A, that kind of stuff. I mean, it was fine. But I bought it based on the understanding that this Windows product was coming out. And I don't think they had any intention in doing that. I don't know. But the next year at the AO, I found out they'd been bought by some other company and they were going to give me a deal to buy this new company software that was Windows-based. It was ridiculous. So I bought Ortho 2. So I used Viewpoint for a couple of years, a while. And I'm not one to complain, you know? Like, I think if you're not happy about something... You should let people know. You can't be mad at them if you haven't told them. Mm-hmm. Or if you have an idea for you know how a service could be better, tell them. I mean, I do this with everybody. My staff gets sick of it, I think, because <laughs> well, have you told them yet? So I would talk to Ortho2 all the time, and I would say, you should make it do this, or can you fix this problem? And then one day I got a phone call out of the blue, and they said, what are you doing on this weekend in January? And I said, nothing. Why? They flew 20 orthodontists and 15 of their programmers to San Antonio or just outside San Antonio to this resort that was, you know, was off season. So I guess they got a good deal on it. Their idea was to show us what was to become EDGE, Ortho2 EDGE. Hmm. So that was like the early days of EDGE as it was being developed. They would show us an idea and we'd say, that's great. Or we'd say like, no, that's dumb. Like, why would you do that? And they would be like, you don't like that? Or we would ask them, can you make it do this? It was kind of like an alpha group sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it still kind of exists, I think. So it was a really good experience for me. You appreciate it when a company will value your input. Like you think, man, this could be so much better. And you appreciate that other people might have a different perspective on it, but Mm -hmm. too often companies will come up with a product, like programmers love to program and they'll make a thing and then they release it and it's like, well, like that's dumb or this could have been so much better (laughs) Better, if they just talked to us. So it's been a good experience. And I think that approach to things has served me well because things truly change. So, Tim, that's why I think of you as an innovator, because I think beta testing is
0: so important as part of that process. And what's interesting is I have found through having the Precision Aligner Buttons product is a lot of doctors are hesitant to provide feedback to the companies. And I don't think it's that they're not wanting to help the companies. I just think it's like they don't want to insult them. And I'm like, no, you're not insulting them. They want this information from us. Right. Right. Yeah. And, so I think it's great that you're, you know, willing to provide it. And I don't know why you feel maybe you're sort of cut that way. For me, I think it's
1: just uh, growing up in New Jersey and we're very like to the point. So we're not like worried about offending people. I think it's a valuable thing. I think, and often you think, man, I don't like the way this works. And chances are that you're not the only one. Exactly. It's like everything. So, you know, you get to know people in the companies. At some point, they realize that you're someone who's interested in making a product better. And so you get asked to be involved with helping their right. thing. Right. And
0: and to be clear, when you offer feedback, you want it to be
1: constructive. You don't want to be like, uh, this sucks or whatever. Right. (laughs) If you have an alternative, that's even better. Yeah. But sometimes on some of these Facebook groups, I'll hear people complaining about Edge or something. It's like, you know, you should just call the company. Like, tell them. Like, it's great that you're talking about it here. Maybe people have solutions to problems. But um, I think it's way more constructive. It makes me feel better to know that at least I've tried to make it better.
0: Exactly. Rather than just like venting in Facebook groups or what have you. Yeah. Right, right. So, Tim, something else I learned about you recently, I learned that you're involved with the Seattle Study Club. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
1: That is a true story. In dental school, I had a classmate, Presh Shaw, who uh, I think you know. I know Presh, yeah, he's through a, social media. Yeah, he's a really great restorative dentist, and he's a super good Seems speaker. Seems incredible. So if yeah. you have a study club and you wanted someone to come in and talk about restorative dentistry or that kind of thing, he's amazing. He has a book out called Beyond the Single Tooth. I saw that. It's legit. Like yeah? I, I knew he'd do a great job, but I got my copy finally. And it's like, wow, it's amazing. So anyways, he was a classmate. And when I came back to Winnipeg, we had our own little study club that we started so we could talk about teeth, the focus being interdisciplinary dentistry. And I think because of the fact I worked as a dentist for four years doing all aspects of dentistry, I think it, in my brain, I like that kind of thing.
0: Mm, me too. I told you I was a general dentist. Yeah. yeah.
1: I understand if you're an ortho resident, you've got all this debt, but you're in school mode and you want to get into ortho and get it done. But man, if you can swing it to work for a couple of years as a dentist and get some experience doing more complex cases, man, I think that's a really great thing for your career, for your perspective as an orthodontist. Absolutely. So we started a study club and it was kind of good. We maybe lacked structure. We had a good core group of dentists, but it wasn't as well structured, I guess, as it could have been. Mm-hmm. And then Paresh somehow got an invitation to go to, they had had a meeting in Mexico and he came back and he was all fired up about we have to do the Seattle study club thing. And I was like, okay, okay, fine, we'll do it. So we started our own chapter. I I don't know how long it's been, 15 years or something like that. Actually this year at the symposium, we were awarded the study club of the year. Oh, congratulations. So why don't we explain maybe for orthodontists who don't know, what is the Seattle study club? So the focus of the club is interdisciplinary treatment. Mm -hmm. And so typically a club will have a core group of specialists And then a restorative dentist, dentists who want to to learn more about treating teeth more comprehensively. Because I think very often as a dentist, you don't know what you don't know. You don't appreciate that there's a crooked tooth on the front and you put a crown on it. But maybe if you had done some restorative work, you could have done a save the patient some tooth structure or that type of thing. So it's all about trying to see the big picture. We bring in speakers for like we do team events and bring speakers in to talk about uh, different things, but typically that you'll have meetings once a month or so, and you'll a lot of it's treatment planning, showing complex cases. Probably two or three times a year, our club will bring in a speaker from somewhere to talk about, usually teeth, but not always. And it's a really good format to encourage people to think globally, like not just dentists, for an orthodontist. I mean, a lot of these clubs are started as a bit of a marketing thing. You start a club and you invite people to join, and they pay dues and you have food and whatnot. I think people hope that with that, club that they'll get referrals from it. Our club was never really like that. It was all honestly just a an attempt by us to get better.
0: Yeah. Curiosity, right?
1: Yeah. Like, you know, you have these cases that from an orthodontist perspective or from the dentist perspective, they get these patients that come in, it's like, Jesus, I know I know I could straighten the teeth, but where can I best move them to help the dentist? Exactly. Uh, Yeah. That's sort of the framework of the club. And I think it's an important thing for a younger orthodontist today to think about that type of thing, whether it's spear or Take Coys. I took Coys. It was uh, a buttload of money, but it was like money well spent because it gives you that perspective on these hard cases. Yeah. And the reality is, with technology changing and dentists doing more and more Invisalign, mm-hmm. the long hanging fruit is gone. Right. We tend to get the harder cases. So if you're a young orthodontist and you want to position yourself favorably for the future. You need to be able to do those cases. You need to be able to communicate with the dentist, You know, have a bit of a leg up on offering what you can do or be able to see where it might go and it makes you a better team player. It's all about having a team and we'll tell patients that come in with these problems that there's no one person that can help you. Your dentist can't just do crowns and make your teeth better and I can't just do orthodontics. You need to see the periodontist. You might benefit from surgical treatment but I can move the teeth as part of this team and at the end of it, you'll have a much better result. And for young Orthodox, I think that's sort of the key to the future. And having a group like a Seattle study club can be a really helpful thing in that respect.
0: Because otherwise it's like, you know, you have a hammer and you see a nail. And I think we tend to get a little bit siloed. I think I mentioned to you before, I was part of a Seattle study club in New Jersey. when I was working with my friend, Dr. Jason Rothenberg, it's just so great to get other people's perspectives because we just look at things from different angles.
1: Right, right. At some point, too, you um, if you work with the same people, your team over time, you tend to appreciate their angles, and you learn that, well, I bet that dentist would do this here. And I think it's comforting, too, because some of these patients that come into your office, you look at them and you go, good God, I don't know, I could do braces, I guess, or aligners or something, but where am I going? That's been a really rewarding part of my practice. Like, their symposium every year is just one of the best meetings. It's changing a little bit. The club's evolved a bit, but it's the most expensive meeting that I go to, but it's also probably one of the best
0: when we come back in just a moment, how Tim became involved with ULAB Systems and Lightforce, why Tim decided to partner with Chorus, and we discuss Tim's mission work in Uganda. Stay with us, you're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Kind support for this podcast comes from 3M Oral Care. Streamline your workflow and bond an entire arch of pre-coded brackets at once with the 3M Digital Bonding System. Design truly customized treatment plans with digital bonding and increase your clinical efficiency through the product's fast indirect bonding, accurate bracket placement, unnecessary need for segmenting the tray and no flash to remove with 3M APC flash-free brackets. To explore how you can experience the future of custom bonding, visit 3M.com digitalbonding. And we're back to our conversation with Dr. Tim Dumore. So, Tim, I think when I first heard of your name, I associated you with ULAB. That's correct.
1: So I mentioned Ross Miller earlier, and Ross was the first full-time orthodontist, as I recall. The company grew, and at one point, I think Ross hired his own boss, who was Amir Al-Bafadi. The company grew, and Amir is an engineer, has a history in materials. So if you ever want to talk to someone about aligner properties, he's a good guy to talk to. So Amir worked as the VP of R&D for Align for quite a while. And Charlie Wen was the programmer. He's a smart guy. Oh, yeah. I think some of the coding he did probably still exists in the Invisalign ecosystem. Like he's, Hmm. it's been a long time, but so Charlie was a super smart guy. Interestingly, like I did a lot of Invisalign initially, but we all know the limitations that it had, especially at the beginning. It's evolved for sure. And then at some point I started doing, I bought a 3D printer. I think we had the first Stratasys Object 30 in Canada? Canada. I used to do OrthoCAD IQ. Hmm. and it was a super cool service and then Invisalign bought the company orthocad yeah and I thought dang as soon as I heard that announcement I thought they're going to discontinue IQ and sure enough they did so I had to look for alternatives and I bought a motion view model scanner and motion view software I don't know I wouldn't want to say much about that other than that it was probably not a good investment so then we had a 3d printer the first Itero in Canada in an mm-hmm. ortho practice anyways and we were going to start using motion views 3d. Uh, their IDB thing. Yeah. It was turned out not to work. Actually for years, I did IDB on printed models. So we'd scan and then print the model and we'd do IDB on the model until Lightforce came along. We started using a program called Vaultus, which evolved into Orchestrate. So we okay. were doing a lot of in-house aligners with that. It worked up to moderate cases we were doing, but it was a lot of input, right? Hmm. So about six years ago, I think, Ross got married in Costa Rica. Hmm. And at Ross's wedding, Amir was there and he said, are you still doing Invisalign? And I said, well, like I do some, but, you know, I'm trying to do more and more in-house. I think it's a better way to do it. And I think he'd been thinking about, you know, making a competitor for Invisalign. And I think maybe Charlie had been thinking the same way, like things have evolved and they could do a better job. So he was interested. And then I think it was six months later, I got a phone call from Amir and he said, look, we started this new company. Are you you in? (laughs) So I said, of course I'm in. So that was my introduction to ULab, And it's been an interesting ride like, to see how far the software has changed. Once in a while, I'll find an old presentation. You'll see the software in a slide and think, wow, I remember that now. <laughs> but it's evolved so much to the point where it's such a great tool. What version of u are they on at this point? Good question. I think 7.2, but there's a new version coming out shortly. Okay. The AI is getting better and better. So that yeah. the amount of time you spend as a doctor setting up the case is less... The early core people that used U-Lab were tinkerers and the people like to work it a little bit. In-house aligners. Early adopters, if you will. Right. But I think that there's a limit to how many people want to practice like that. And the reality is a lot of people like the an ecosystem where they can just send it to the company and have it done. So that's why uh, U-Lab started this U-Assist service where you can send a case. You don't do every case, but if you want, you can send it to U-Lab and they'll mm. do the basic setup for you. And then if you want to tweak it a bit, then you're done. And then they can make all the aligners for you. I think there's value in being able to do some in-house aligners, even if you don't have a full-on lab, to be able to deliver a retainer the same day if necessary. I mean, theoretically, you do it like right away. Right. But we typically deband patients and then you you blow it up in the U-Lab and blow it up 10 times. You can see all the things that could be better. And my retention protocol is usually four months full-time wear and then just at night. So during that four months, I'll move the teeth. Sometimes longer if necessary, I suppose. But during that four months, I'll do one or two or eight. Usually it's a couple, you know, where I'll tweak things a little bit or close a space. You know, there's a few people involved for sure. Eric Quo and Jason Cope was involved quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Those early days, you have to expect that there's going to be some pain. You know, like anything new, right? you're going to have to it's work. It's a learning it. curve, yeah. Right. But it's the point now where I think, I don't know. Like, I think May was our biggest month yet, a record for a number of cases. Oh, awesome. And case complexity, a lot of people used to think of ULAB as a finishing tool. I mean, I lectured on that topic, Mm -hmm. you know, using that as a finishing tool. But the case complexity, the number of aligners per case is increasing all the time. So people appreciate that. You don't have to. Yeah,
0: Yeah. So it's not just for
1: like a hybrid case, like you said, just like a couple finishing aligners here and there. Right. I mean, you have so much flexibility, which I think is the key. Like hybrid treatment, honestly, is a good thing. You can do amazing things with clear aligners. But some things are just easier with bracket and wires. So you tell your patient, look, if we do this in aligners, it's going to take this long. If we can put braces on for a little while to deal with these big issues and then finish with aligners, your total treatment time is going to be less. Yes. And people go, okay. And especially if it's something like lower braces to open a bite or that type of thing. It's amazing. I love it. We're on the topic of braces. We're at the Lightforce meeting. When did you first get involved with Lightforce? So I mentioned Lou Schumann earlier. Yeah. I guess it would have been early 2020. I'm not sure if I'd heard about Lightforce. I didn't know much about it, but I got a phone call from Lou and asked if I'd be interested in being involved with the CAB, the Clinical Executive Board, they called it. Mm -hmm. It's meant to be kind of a resource of doctors who would help with speaking or help with clinical education, that kind of thing. People to help drive the product forward. And he knew me through my time with Invisalign and remembered me and knew that, yeah, I like to tinker. I like to help out. I like to offer feedback, that kind of thing. So he said, would you be interested in being involved? And I said, sure. And then nothing really happened for a while. I was just busy. Like, you know what, it's like you're driving the Titanic and trying to make a turn is hard. And there's this new technology that seems great, but how do I do it, you know? So he called me and said, like, are you in or not? If you're going to be in, you got to do something. So I said, okay. So that was like December of 2020, as I recall. So I said, all right. So I talked to my team and I said, look, this January... We started doing a couple of cases. I think my first case, we actually strapped up late November, I think 2020. But I said, for January, we're going to start five cases. And then for February, we're going to start at least five cases. I don't care. Let's just make it happen. Yeah. And then maybe March, maybe a few more. Oh, I have an alarm on my phone at 545. And it says, your family loves you. Uh. Because we finished patients at 430. Yeah. i try and be home by six, but sometimes you just get caught up and you forget to look at the clock. And all of a sudden it's quarter after six and you come home and your family's already eating I thought, dang, that ain't right. So I created this alarm, and that's usually whatever I'm doing, I wrap it up and I leave.
0: There you go. It's perfect.
1: I love that. So um, these light force cases started coming back, and I thought, dang, this looks good. You know, you'd see a patient after the second wire, and you'd see how good the initial alignment was. Because the problem with regular brackets are they're averages, it's not necessarily the right place for that tooth to go. So a lot of what we do is compensate for that. Mm-hmm. And my practice is busy. We have about a six-month waiting list to get in. I need capacity. And I needed a way to be able to be more efficient with my clinical time. Yeah. So most of our regular fixed cases, we do a repo appointment. Like a lot of people do, like six or eight months into treatment when right. things are kind of leveled. We take a repo-sized cone beam, just the teeth cone beam, it's the same or less exposure than a pan. And honestly, you don't need to see somebody's eyeballs on a pan or, the, or their <laughs> right. or their condyles, right? <laughs> yeah. You want to see the teeth, So you take a small field of view cone beam, repo cone beam, we call it, and then you change some brackets and hopefully they're on better. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, but you're putting back in the tooth isn't necessarily going to get the tooth to the right spot anyways. Close, hopefully. Right. But you're going to spend the last half of your treatment after your main working phase is done, your spaces are closed, your class two is corrected. You're going to spend the last part of treatment detailing the wire to overcome for your failures in bracket placement and the limitations of the appliance. Right. The theory is with Lightforce is that there's no more uh, repo and hopefully the detailing has gone or mostly gone. And you know, it's happening. Like I see it in my cases where the cases are finishing up quicker, about 31% faster based on my patients and fewer appointments and a better result, I think. I'm seeing it too. It's incredible. Full disclosure, I did buy some Lightforce stock just because I think it's a great company, but Honestly, like I think if people can get past the lab bill, it looks like an expensive thing, but the efficiency of the system, it pays for itself. Whether you increase your fees or not, it's up to you, I suppose, but it's a great system. I just love the innovation.
0: You know, at this point, I'm doing a little bit of detail, bends, but I was learning today about incorporating some more overcorrections into my light plan. Do you do that regularly?
1: I do not. Um, Eric Sachs? Yes. I think that was him that said he doesn't do overcorrection. Neither do I. My philosophy is to get a full-size wire in there and just give it some time to work. And then if I need to bend the wire, then I'll do that. But I think a lot of people like the value in overcorrection for some things. Like I'm not saying it's wrong. I just don't do that. I tend to put the tooth where I think it needs to be and then hopefully get a full-size wire in there. Let the prescription do its thing.
0: I just want to believe in the cartoon and as Willie Dayan would say, right? It's like I just want to put the teeth where they want to go and let you guys figure out the rest. Right, right. It's such a cool technology. Oh, absolutely. So I want to transition here a bit. I think it was maybe several years
1: ago that you joined an OSO. Is that right? That's true, actually. We'd talked before, I think maybe that for a number of years, I was in the Schulman group. Yes. It was a great group of doctors, very diverse, but with a lot of commonality, Like great practices that were pretty efficiently run. There was a great community at the time. I've been out for a while now, so I assume it's the same, but it was a really good community. I really appreciated the exchange of ideas, and people would share not just clinical things, but even life things, but practice management stuff. There's an annual meeting that you had to go to. If you didn't go to the meeting three years out of five, you're out. They started working on an OSO kind of thing, and it just didn't make sense for Canadians. So there was four Canadian practices at the time. We kind of had to leave because it just didn't make sense, but I really missed that sense of community. Yeah. And then I hate to say it, but I, I'm in the backstage of my career. I'm at 25 years out now. Like, I want to work for a long time. I love what yeah. I do. At some point, you have to think about what your transition is going to be. And I, I wouldn't say I'd thought about that a lot. As I told you before, I'm not really a super introspective kind of guy. Yeah. But Paul Helperd was an orthodontist who I knew through my military days and hmm. known him forever. He's a superhuman, just a great guy. And he called me one day and said, Look, this is my idea for uh, an OSO. I'm wondering if you'd be involved with being part of it. Hmm. And to be honest, course has been a great thing, but just based on knowing Paul and my desire to be part of a sensitive community like that, I thought, man, this sounds like a good thing to me. So there was, I want to say 16 or 18 founding doctors, and it started about three and a half years ago. And since then it's evolved. Paul always talks about they're building the plane while they're flying it, but it's a pretty well-established model now. And it's been a great thing. So chorus started in October-ish of 2019, and then okay. a couple of months later, COVID hit. Yes. And if there's ever been a time where I thought, man, what a great decision it was when COVID hit, because we quickly struck some committees to help deal with all the various aspects of what you had to do with. Yes. And, you know, we had meetings, we had Zoom meetings and whatnot. And all of a sudden you kind of realize that you have so much support. The businessy part of Orthodox is not my strength. Like Bill Layman was on your podcast. Yes. I would like to have like of Bill Lehman's brain. He's brilliant, right? Yeah, like I am not Bill Lehman. Yeah. (laughs) I can't tie a bow tie very quickly either. So, but you know, they're helping me with that part of things. Like you're pointing out areas where I'm deficient or they're starting to push a little bit more, but it's more of a pull kind of model. Like they're less hands on. I mean, it's important that they give you advice when they need to, but it's been a really good thing. They've developed a great team. And I don't think they want everybody, but I think they want to have the right people. And if you've got a good practice that, if you're interested in doing the right thing, then I think it's for you. And it's not all about the money. Like a lot of these groups, in my opinion, and again, I'm not the businessy y guy, right. but the way I see a lot of these groups, it's all about growing a thing and then selling it to selling, someone. Selling, going public, right? Yeah, and you get a big multiple. In the long term, I don't think that's great for the profession. Yeah. I think Chorus's mantra is that we want to be good to the profession and new grads. We want to be able to give them an opportunity to be able to have something, have some equity sooner than later versus working for a corporation for the rest of your lives. And real quick, I do want to mention this because it's this really incredible. You've done some mission trips to Uganda. So we've done two trips to Uganda to Kampala to this school. So Canada's got about thirty-nine million people, I think, and Uganda's about the same size. Yeah. Canada's got something like twenty thousand dentists. Uganda's got something like four hundred. Oh my gosh! So if you're a kid with a toothache, you're in a tough spot. So we've done two trips, and we're we're hoping to go back next summer. So you might think as an orthodontist, uh, what can you do? So I can do yeah. screenings. I did a couple of fillings on our first trip. We actually sent over a compressor suction, a couple of generators, chairs. We had a container full of stuff. So you can actually do restorative work if you want. Yeah. But certainly extractions and whatnot, like we proper sterilizers. Mm-hmm. So if anyone has a group that they want to go with, they can go and they can help, you know, the dentist. I mean, I have to take out teeth too, but you can go there and be super productive and help screen patients do that. I gave lots of anesthetic. Our first trip It was about uh, 11 years ago. I hadn't given a block in 17 years. So I bought the latest copy of Melamed. Yeah. And then I asked my sister if she'd be a guinea pig. (laughs) Oh, jeez. So I gave her a block and I nailed it. (laughs) And then a couple of days later, we had a family dinner and my cousin was there. He's like, what's this? I explained the situation. And he said, well, I would be a volunteer. So he came the following week and I gave him a block. So I was two for two. And then I I felt (laughs) confident. So. So anyways, if people are interested, I'd be happy to talk about that too. <laughs> or give them blocks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, like I give um, infiltrations all the time. I do TADRPEs quite a bit. Oh, do you? So I do lots of paddle anesthetic or for buckle TADs, you know, I'll do infiltrations there, but you don't do blocks very often. That's as, true. As a, as yeah. So I was like, the first couple of them, I was a little nervous, but. You still got it. It's got to practice.
0: Yeah. We were chatting a little bit before. And you were telling me about
1: some of your uh, hobbies and interests. Tell us about a few of those. It's interesting. Like Kevin Thoreau was a guy that was in the showman group. I remember talking to him one day and he said like on his list of ways he sees himself, like orthodontist is like number four on his list. You know, he does all these other things and he likes being an orthodontist, but it wasn't his primary thing. But for me, I love being an orthodontist. Me too. It's like a dream job, right? For me, that's a big thing, but I love fitness. I have a Peloton Mm -hmm. treadmill and a bike. You can't tell by looking at me, but I do the strength workouts all the time. So it's like that. I like cooking. I love cooking. I think I was telling you I have a playlist on Spotify called Saturday Evening Cooking. So cool. I love my happy places. Saturday afternoon, four o'clock with a glass of wine and some good tunes. And I'm prepping dinner for family Sounds or perfect. friends. perfect, yeah. So this playlist has... 300 and something listeners. Uh, I like gardening. I like landscaping. My wife and I have landscaped our yard with a little bit of help from our kids for over three summers. And we've planted something like 20- Yeah, tell five, us that story. Well, we, so we bought a big house. We bought a lot. And we built a house 13 years ago. And we did a little bit of landscaping with a company, like just in the very front of the house. And that was 10 grand. And then we got a quote a couple of years later for the rest of it. And it was $300,000. <laughs> oh, geez. And I thought, geez, I don't know. So we bought a Kubota, a yeah. little tractor. And over three summers, we, I don't know how many- truckloads of dirt and wood chips (laughs) and plants and things. But I mean, if you come to Winnipeg, like come in the summer. I want to come now. Yeah. I want to show you our yard. We have some grass, but most of our yard is like low junipers and shrubs and things and trees and tamaracks and whatnot. My wife gets the credit for all the planning, but she's planned it in five dimensions, like colors. and Oh, wow. It's just, it's really something. I know I dug the holes, but she was the brains behind the operation. I was just the hired help. (laughs) The hired help. But uh, a younger me would have laughed at the older me because- On a Monday night, if I have nothing else to do, I'm going to be out in the yard puttering around. I'm not good at meditating. I've tried meditating and I just, I'm not very good at it. Yeah. I get out in the yard and all of a sudden it's like, I guess I'm meditating. You know, I think about stuff and without actively trying to do it, I start doing it. I've sort of gotten into landscaping. We just bought a house in
0: August and my dad will probably love hearing this, but there's something like a little bit Zen about it Mm. to me. It's just like sort of relaxing and I'll throw on either a podcast or some music and it's nice getting outside, the sunshine. There's something just nice about it.
1: As a Canadian, you'll be happy to know one of my favorite podcasts is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. So, I actually, don't know that one. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, it's on NPR. It's amazing. Oh, I can and check it out. We were like geeking out on NPR at the AAO because the uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me show was taped live in, at the Studebaker Theater in <laughs> Chicago. And we got to go see a live recording of the show. It was oh, like, that's oh, awesome. Wait, actually, another good podcast to listen to It's called Under the Influence. It's about marketing. It's I've heard about that one, yeah. Super good. Terry O'Reilly, the podcaster, the author, has got a couple of books too, but it's really good stuff on marketing, like different types of marketing. It's entertaining, like it's a good, if you're looking for something for your drive. But having said that, for the last couple of weeks when I've been out in the yard doing my pruning and digging holes and whatnot, I've been listening to this great podcast. It's amazing, you'd like it. It's called um, The Illuminate Podcast. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> Never I've, heard of that one. I had heard a couple of episodes, and I thought, geez, I better do my homework, you know? And it's been so impressive to listen to such a diverse... I mean, there's a commonality with a lot of the people that have been on the podcast, but so many great names. I know that person. Thank you so much, Tim. You've done an amazing job of curating content, the people to talk to. So kudos to you. Yes. Well, I'm honored to have
0: you now a part of that uh, catalog. So Tim, we have to wrap it up here. We have a beach party to get to. But if people would like to learn a little bit more about you or get in touch with you, how can they get in touch?
1: My email is um, Doctor Timbo at drdumore.com so d-r-t-i-m-b-o at d-r-d-u-m-o-r-e dot com (laughs) pretty good at responding to emails and I'd love to hear back from people I think if they have any questions or I don't know want to send me some tomatoes or whatever then (laughs) (laughs) I love it Tim,
0: thank you again for being on the podcast. Honor chatting with you today. Loved our topics of conversation, and like I said, we do have to get to a party here. So I want to cheers you, my friend. Cheers! It was
1: uh, it's been a pleasure, and once again, yep, thank you cheers. for uh, <laughs> for all you do. Oh, thank you, Tim.
0: That's all for this episode of the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. If you're a fan of the show be sure to subscribe or follow Illuminate on your favorite podcast app. Also, I'd really appreciate if you could rate our show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. A very special thanks to our sponsors for this episode. That's Dental Monitoring and 3M Oral Care. As always, this podcast would not be possible without the Illuminate team. That's Skylar Adler, with Johnny Mitchell on the mixing console and Tom O'Grady on the Fender Rhodes electric piano. Thanks so much for listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. To hear exclusive outtakes, suggest a guest, or sponsor an episode, head over to Illuminate Ortho Podcast. Com. Until next time, this is Dr. Chris Seta signing off. There's more. If you've listened this far, you just found our hidden bonus content and outtakes.
1: Uh, Until Lightforce came along. And um, where was I going with this? Man, my train of thought, the second beer is kicking in. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Perfect. We bought a minivan. And then two days later, I turned 30. Mm -hmm. And then that was May. And then in June, we left for San Francisco. And we drove this Ford Windstar minivan up and down those hills. And then we got back to Winnipeg, our transmission blew, and they couldn't fix it. Oh, we no. took it to Amco, and they had it for three days, and they couldn't fix it. So we, by the time we got to Winnipeg, we had, I think it was like maybe third and fourth gear. So you'd have to start off really slow. We couldn't back up. So you'd, you'd, be, pulling, really? you'd be pulling into Lord knows where Montana, and you'd have to get lunch or something, and you'd have to find a spot that you could pull through. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. We got back to Winnipeg. I hadn't worked the day yet we needed a new transmission and new brakes and rotors. It was like a $4,000 bill. Oh, my gosh. I think the hills of San Francisco just destroyed that. Did a number on it, huh? I mean, it was a piece of crud. But Interestingly, I had a patient a couple of years after I graduated named Sean Carlson. No way. <laughs> and at lunch, Sean uh, would often have green beans, like raw green beans that he ate. He loved them. He, <laughs> he ate them for lunch. Like, it seemed like every day. So I asked this kid, I said, by the way, do you like green beans? He goes, yeah, I love green beans. So... I want to do like a survey around the world, to find other Sean Carlson's, find out his, <laughs> that are into green beans. It's inherent somehow in the, the Sean Carlson ness of the world. So he just ate green beans all the time? He'd have like a sandwich and green beans and what? Or like a soup and green beans. He just. You know, That's so funny. I don't think. Like, There's get, a story that I've been dying to
0: have Sean on the podcast. I've invited him several times. So, Sean, come on the podcast and tell us about
1: what's the deal with the green beans. Man, what if he still likes them? I, we should. <laughs> I think he almost. It's almost like an obligation that he has to come answer questions now yeah right (laughs) anyways speaking of new jersey and not offending people i was at i don't i was at some sporting event in i don't know if it was washington or where it was i'm in line people who know me know that i have these red glasses yes and uh, i'm in line known for (laughs) right and this woman turns around and looks at me and she says what is wrong with you And I go, what do you mean? And she said, those glasses are ridiculous. You're just looking for attention. And it turns out she was from New Jersey. She could uh, uh, <laughs> Tim,
0: on behalf of all New Jerseyans, I will say I'm sorry. <laughs> May I say it again in Canadian? So- I'm, I'm sorry.
1: Sorry. <laughs> you know, I can't do that on purpose. Like, I can't. I can't.
0: Anyways. I don't um, know what that was, A boot. A boot. <laughs>